I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text this Lord's Day, found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. I realize we are picking up in the middle of a, a narrative, a very uh, graphic, uh, a very timely narrative. Uh, we will try to tie it all together as the sermon progresses, but this is the portion of God's word that we will be focusing our attention upon in the sermon this Lord's Day, Daniel three nineteen through 25. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <clears throat> God never promised that his dear children would not be cast into the fire of persecution and tribulation. In fact, to the contrary, we have been promised that no child of God is without such suffering for Christ and for his truth. Jesus said in John 16, 33, In the world ye shall have tribulation. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 14, 22, We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say we might through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must. And the little Greek word there means it is necessary. It is necessary through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. But what we have been promised, dear ones, is that we will not walk alone in the midst of the fiery furnace. What we have been promised is that in the fire of tribulation, the Lord Jesus will be with us. He will walk with us to strengthen us. He will walk with us to encourage us. We have such a promise in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 2. Fear not, God says, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. 
When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Lord Jesus promises through the words of Paul in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The two words used, I will never leave thee and will never forsake thee. Those two words never in both cases are a double negative in the Greek language, u, may. That is used for emphasis. You cannot have a more emphatic negative in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written than u, may. It's impossible for God to ever leave us, for Christ to ever leave us, or to forsake us. Why does the Lord Jesus take us through these fires of persecution, fires of tribulation, of affliction? Dear ones, through fiery trials, we learn in the school of Christ that God is using persecution, tribulation, betrayal, or rejection to grow us in our faith in learning to lean upon him and not upon ourselves. To lean upon him and not upon our circumstances or upon anyone else in this world. He's teaching us patience. He's teaching us perseverance so that we don't cast away our faith at the slightest injury that we might suffer, but that all the more that we suffer, the more tightly we cling to our Savior. And we learned not to surrender, but we learned to walk in greater faithfulness in passing through those fires. We also learn to comfort others with the comfort with which we were comforted. How do we comfort others, dear ones, if we never experience discomfort, if we never experience tribulation and afflictions and trials in our life? How do we come to encourage and comfort others the Lord says that's another one of the purposes for us passing through times of tribulation so that we can take the comfort that we've received from the Lord and go to someone else and say, I was comforted by the Lord. I know he will comfort you. He will be there for you just as he was there for me. And we go through trials, fiery trials, for many reasons, but let me give you one other reason. To put off, to put off the world, the flesh, in denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Christ. Helping us to realize that what we suffer in this world is teaching us that this world is not everything. This world is passing away just as our bodies are passing away, just as they suffer, just as they go through these trials and it hurts. But there is coming a time when there will be no more pain, no more heartache, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin, no more temptation, no more tribulation. There's coming a time where all of that will be forgotten and we will be praising and enjoying that perfect peace and that perfect joy in the presence of our God. May we become, dear ones, good students in the school of Christ as we cast away all bitterness, all anger, all self-pity 
that often is our response in going through tribulation, the fires of tribulation, and rather learn that Jesus is never so near unto us as when we walk through the fiery trials and tribulations of this life. The main points from our text this Lord's Day are these. First of all, the cost of following Christ in Daniel 3, verses 19 through 23. And the second main point, you are never alone in suffering for Christ in Daniel 3, verses 24 through 25. So the first main point, the cost of following Christ. In verses 19 through 23, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. By way of review, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been threatened with the most severe consequence to be cast into a burning fiery furnace for refusing to obey the king's unlawful command to bow down to his golden image. They were even given a second chance by King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to comply with this order. Uh, This was probably unheard of, a second chance, probably unheard of from a totalitarian king like Nebuchadnezzar. And then they were promised, upon submitting to him, they were promised that, that if they did bow down before his golden image that they would be spared that dreadful death in the fiery furnace. All they had to do was simply comply. So the terms were quite clear from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar. Turn or burn. Turn to me or be burnt alive. But these three godly young men saw the terms quite differently than Nebuchadnezzar. The terms, uh, as they saw, the terms were these. Serve and worship God or serve and worship the king. Resist tyranny and obey God or submit to tyranny and disobey God. Their testimony was very clear as we read it last Lord's Day in Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They say to the king, we don't really have to answer. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Uh, uh, we're, We're not going to elaborate you have sufficient testimony and witness if you will not believe 
<clears throat> that what you're doing is wrong and requiring us to bow before thee or anyone else to bow before thee or before this golden image. Uh, uh, we're, we're not going to say any more on the matter um, uh, than, than simply this testimony. And that is this, that if God does not restrain the hand of the king, he's able to deliver us from that, the fires of that burning, fiery furnace. He's able to deliver us we don't doubt that he is God, that he has created us, he's created fire. He can subdue fire, no problem for our God. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That is, either by delivering us out of the flame physically or spiritually, if our bodies die in the flame, he will deliver us out of thine hand by taking our souls to be immediately with him in his presence. If it be so, they say, let the king know that we're not going to serve. We're not going to bow down. Whatever, O king, thou would do unto us, we are not going to follow thee. We're not going to disobey our God. They were not defiant here for defiance sake. They were defiant for Christ's sake. And there is always, always a necessity for us to be defiant to unlawful authority or unlawful commands for Christ's sake. They stood not against lawful authority. They, they stood against tyranny. Dear friends, we are not anti-government. We are not anti-country. Uh, we are anti-tyrannical government. And we are pro-godly government under Christ the King. We love our country, but we despise and hate its rebellion against God. And we pray for our country's repentance and coming to faith, to repent of its national sins. We pray for its reformation according to the commandments of God and Christ our King. Well, some may object that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have outwardly, merely outwardly complied with the king's demand, but inwardly protested against the king's command. <clears throat> After all, according to this particular way of reasoning, false reasoning, but nevertheless this argument, uh, it's merely a matter of the heart, right? And what we truly believe inwardly is all that really counts with God. He looks not on our outward appearance, but he looks upon our heart. Where is our heart? Not where is our body, but where is our heart? Well, this was likewise the position of a group uh, during the Reformation period that were called Nicodemites. Uh, Calvin and other reformers speak against the Nicodemites, named after Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night because he hid, he hid from the opposition, the adversity that he would suffer uh, from fellow Pharisees and those in the Sanhedrin because he was coming to Jesus. And so likewise, there were those during the time of the Reformation who outwardly conformed to Rome. But they said, we're only outwardly doing this. We're not inwardly doing so. We're inwardly protesting 
against the idolatry and the corruption and the false teaching of Rome, but we're only going through this outwardly. And the reformers said, that's idolatry. That is betrayal of Christ. Listen closely, dear ones. When our bodily safety is prized above our faithfulness to Jesus and his truth, we have made an idol of our body. We've made an idol of this earthly life. Our body and our earthly life belong to Jesus. We do not want to make our body and our earthly life a graven image before which we bow. And that's what it happens, and that's what happens when we say our safety is more important than following Christ. We are to keep the sixth commandment. We are to seek to preserve the lives of others and our own life by all lawful means. But we are never to keep the sixth commandment at the expense of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus says in Matthew 10.39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. What was Jesus saying? He was saying that he that findeth his life, that is, findeth, treasureth his temporal earthly life, shall lose it, shall lose his eternal heavenly life. And he that loseth his life, that is, his temporal earthly life, if it comes to that, for the sake of Jesus Christ, shall find it. He will find his eternal and heavenly life. When Nebuchadnezzar heard the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fact that they would not bow down to his, uh, his image, that they would not obey the king, he revealed once again his pride through his great fury. In Daniel 3.19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Earlier in verse 13, we read that he was in a rage and fury when he first learned from these Chaldeans that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not bowed before his image. But here now it says he was full of fury. An even more intense level and degree of fury than before. Why? Why was it intensified? Because these courageous young men feared offending God more than they feared offending the king because they resisted his tyranny, because they didn't do what he wanted them to do, which was to bow before his image. In other words, his pride was hurt. His pride was attacked. And it led him to be full of fury, even to the point of his face becoming corrupt. Uh, contorted and distorted, becoming devilish. See, dear ones, that's what our sinful anger does to us. It causes us to think, to speak, and to act in a devilish way. And so, what do we do if we have problems with anger? Or whenever we do become angry, even if we don't consider ourselves to really have a problem with anger, we've all become angry. 
sinfully angry. So what should we do? Just pass it off? Should we blame somebody else? Because again, as we said in a previous sermon, no one can truly make you angry. You become angry because you choose to. I become angry because I choose to become angry. People can provoke us to anger and they're responsible for the provocation, but I'm still responsible for the way I respond to that provocation. <clears throat> so what do we do after we become angry, sinfully angry? Well, what we do is we ask ourselves, why did I become angry? We start there. If we really want to overcome anger in our lives, why am I angry? Why did I become angry? And obviously, fooling ourselves, lying to ourselves is not helpful in overcoming the sin. We have to be honest. Why did I become angry? Was it because my plans were altered? Was it because someone disappointed me? Is that why I became angry? And if it was, then I need to take that pride because that's what it was. If I'm angry because somebody disappointed me or someone didn't respond the way that I wanted them to respond or because uh, things in my life didn't work out the way that I had planned, uh, then I need to take that sin to the Lord immediately. I need to confess it as sin. I need to say, Lord, forgive me for this sin. I repent. I need to take that sin and nail it to the cross of the Lord Jesus. And then I need to obey him and learn from that experience what it is that makes me angry so that I do not continue to repeat that sin. And I continue to repeat that process that I've just gone through. I continue to repeat that process till that sin sinful anger no longer controls me. But rather, by God's grace, God controls me. His spirit controls me. The king's fury here is is also expressed in demanding that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than normal. <clears throat> Since they did not have thermometers to be able to judge whether a furnace was seven times hotter than it was ordinarily, this probably means they added seven times more wood, seven times more fuel to the, make the fire that much more intense. As soon as the extra wood and fire or fuel is added to the fire, the king commands the strongest of the guards to immediately bind and cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with all of their clothes yet upon them into the fiery furnace in verses 20 through 23. Amazingly, in every single way that the king expresses his fury and his sinful anger and seeks to, in so doing, inflict greater pain upon these godly young men, God glorifies himself by way of a greater demonstration of his almighty power. <clears throat> Look at what the Lord did here. The king heated the fire seven times hotter, as we've noted. But this only revealed all the more the greater power of God, did it not? In preserving his children, they heat, he heated it, God delivered them. He could have heated it a hundred times more. And that would have only brought more glory to God. 
because God delivered them from that. Psalm 76.10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise him. In this particular case, the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar brought glory to God. Now that does not excuse us, obviously, for our sinful anger. But God says that he causes even the wrath of man that is brought against him, that is brought against his people, he causes that to praise him, to glorify him. Either by way of God, through the wrath of man, either by way of God's justice in bringing his justice upon the wrath of man, or by way of his mercy and showing mercy to those who express, express wrath against him in saving and rescuing them. Because many times God rescues and saves people in the midst of their sin in the midst of their wrath that they show against God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound and fully clothed when thrown into the fire. The, the fire was not only heated seven times hotter, but they were fully clothed when they were thrown into the fire. The fetters, they were bound. The, the fetters uh, that bound them Intended were intended by Nebuchadnezzar to show his power over them. But what does God do? God breaks the fetters while they're in the burning, fiery furnace and shows that his power is greater than Nebuchadnezzar's power. Their clothing was some type of fabric, all of their clothing, from their head to their, to their feet some type of fabric which would have added uh, to the combustible fuel in the fire to bring about perhaps even greater pain being so close to the body. And yet the fire did not only, not only did not touch the skin of these faithful young men but the fire did not even touch their clothes to singe or to leave a burnt odor of smoke upon them or their clothing at all. Every point that Nebuchadnezzar is seeking to show his power, his hatred, his anger, God shows who's in control at every point. The king even chose uh, the mighty, uh, most mighty men, we read. Most mighty men he could find to cast them into the fiery furnace. And he expected, no doubt, that his mighty men would, would survive the intense uh, fire, the flame. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be consumed in the midst of the fire. But God turns it around once again. God consumed the most mighty men who were only at the very entrance of the furnace and he preserved his faithful ones who were cast into the full heat of the furnace. In other words, in every way the king attempted to display his power over God's people and to intensify their suffering God turned each of these attempts by the king into an occasion to demonstrate his supreme power and his great love to save his people even when in the midst of the fire. And that's what we are taught in so often throughout the scripture. The brothers of Joseph sought to show their hatred for the brother and not put, they did not put him into a literal burning fiery furnace, they cast him into a pit. And we're going to let him die there. Eventually they sold him into slavery. 
Thereafter, he was lied about, betrayed by the mistress of his master, cast into prison, all of this having been brought against him in order to do him hurt, in order to do him harm. But before the book of Genesis ends, Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, but as for you, speaking to his brothers, you thought evil against me, just as Nebuchadnezzar thought evil against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Likewise, in the case of Job, uh, Job was cast, as it were, into a burning, fiery furnace. He lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his home. He lost all of his wealth, all of his possessions. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and his wife told him to curse God and die. He lost it all. And then he had three friends, so three supposed friends, who came to comfort him, who only discouraged him, and whom God verbally chastened at the end of Job, at the end of, of the book of Job. And yet, did God mean that for Job's good? All the affliction took away his, took away his health as well. I forgot that. Took away his, his health so that he became, again, miserable in what he was suffering physically. And yet God meant it for good. And we see it especially in the life of the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees did not cast Jesus into a burning fiery furnace, but they wanted him nevertheless dead. They brought false charges against them, against Jesus. Uh, he was beaten, he was scourged to bloody pulp. Crown of thorns was beaten into his skull. He was with a, with a club. Uh, he was blindfolded. He was beaten in the face, bruised. His face was, was bruised badly and mocked by putting a royal robe on his back, bowing down and, and before him and saying, who struck you? If you, you, know, if, if you are the son of God, who, who struck you? And then placed upon a cross. But all of that was meant for Christ's good in rescuing and saving his people. It was all meant for our good in being rescued and saved. We're in, it was not the wrath of man ultimately that put Jesus there. It was God that put Jesus there to bear his wrath against us for our sins. Dear ones, be not afraid. Therefore, when it appears the fire tribulation is heated seven times hotter, God is about to do something greater in displaying his glory and his love through it. Whether he delivers you physically or whether he delivers you spiritually. And our last main point, you are never alone in suffering for Christ. Verses 24 through 25 the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished at what he saw. He couldn't believe his eyes. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. What did he see? Well, first of all, he saw four men in the fire instead of three. Secondly, he saw them all loosed and free from their fetters that bound them. 
Thirdly, he saw them just walking about in the, in the fire unhurt. Rather than running to the entrance, trying to get out of the fire, the furnace. Because they were in pain. Their clothes were still on them. They haven't, had not been burnt. And there they were, just walking about as, as, as common and ordinary, as if that was something that happened every day. And fourth, they saw a, a fourth man whom the king said was like the Son of God. The mightiest king on earth at that time could not with all the power at his disposal destroy God's people. Couldn't do it. How often the Lord allows the folly of rulers to reach such a height of wrath against him and against his beloved church just to reveal the impotence of earthly rulers before the almighty King Jesus Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given a very special token of God's love there in the fire. The bodily presence of the Lord's angel or even perhaps the fourth personage was the presence of the Lord Jesus himself. Nebuchadnezzar being a pagan uh, likely looked upon the fourth figure as some bodily manifestation of one of the gods. <clears throat> a, a translation, a, a, a very um, accurate translation in Daniel 3.25 of what Nebuchadnezzar said is this, and the form of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So who was it? It was either one of the Lord's angels, uh, as when Daniel was in the lion's den, God sent his angel to close the mouth of uh, the lions, or it was the Lord himself. Uh, similar to the appearance many times in the Old Testament, but similar to the, uh, the appearance of the Lord Jesus <clears throat> before he was incarnate, um, before his, his conception and birth, <clears throat> uh, similar to his appearance to, uh, say, Abraham at the time of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. There it says, the Lord Jehovah appeared unto Abraham and it keeps saying the Lord you know this conversation going on between uh, Abraham and the Lord and uh, it says three men appeared unto Abraham two of them were angels that went on to Sodom and Gomorrah but the third continued to talk uh, in bodily form uh, to Abraham and it refers to him as the Lord Jehovah was speaking to Abraham in bodily form. So it may have been that that's who it was in the, the fiery furnace. Whether it was an angel or whether it was the Lord Jesus himself, even if it were, was an angel, it was again a token of God's presence with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, God could have uh, sent an angel or the Lord Jesus could have come bodily uh, just as he did to uh, Abraham before they were cast into the fire to encourage them that he would be with them in the midst of the fire. But he waited until they were already in the fire to reveal that special presence of the Lord to them. At that point, they didn't know what was going to happen, whether their flesh was going to be consumed, cremated, 
uh, in that fiery furnace or whether the Lord was going to preserve them. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they did have the promise of God that he would be with them. In Isaiah 43, 2, Fear thou, thou not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And he goes on to say, as well as walk, walkest through the fires, that God would be with them. Whether they die, whether they live, God would be with them. And so the special sense of Christ's presence was given to them while in the fire. Everyone's let not the enemy convince you, because he'll try, just as he tries to convince me, <clears throat> that because you are in the fire that the Lord Jesus has left you and has deserted you, that you are all alone there in the fire. How is that? How is it that the faithful testimony throughout history has always been on the lips of those who suffered for Christ, suffered greatly for Christ through their suffering, through their tribulation, through their loss, through their rejection, and even through their death? How is it that they were able to testify like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord is with me. The Lord stands with us. It was only because, again, they were only able to face what came their way by way of persecution and tribulation because they knew they were not alone. They were not going alone into that fiery furnace but rather knew with faith the promise of God who cannot lie, that they are never alone. Never alone. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I have some application that I want to leave with you at the conclusion of the sermon today. First, the strongest of Nebuchadnezzar's men were destroyed by the very fire, by the very same fire in which the three young faithful men of God were preserved. The fire, dear ones, of suffering, namely of misery and death in this world, is a curse to unbelievers, and it destroys them, just as it destroyed the most strong of Nebuchadnezzar's men. It destroyed them. But that very same fire of misery and death in this world, even, again, death itself, is blessed by the Lord Jesus to purify us, to sanctify us, and to draw us unto him to know his presence even to a greater extent than we knew it before. That very same, those very same miseries that are a curse, that very same death that is a curse to the unbeliever becomes a blessing to us who are believers and shows forth the mercy and the love the grace of Jesus Christ to us in the midst of those fiery flames. Another application. God doesn't promise we'll escape the fire of persecution, afflictions, sorrows, or rejection. When we resist what is unlawful, and boldly stand for what is faithful to God's commandments. As we've noted, neither the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs, not even Jesus escaped the fire of persecution. 
Why should we? Why should we be exempt from what the faithful have not escaped from in the past? There will often be consequences. Whether mild or more severe, there will always be consequences when we will not disobey the Lord. But there will often be, uh, again, that temptation to not obey the Lord in order to make it easier upon ourselves. To disobey the Lord. Remember, again, no one can force us to disobey the Lord. Regardless of the threatened consequences, no one can force you to disobey God. Even if it's a fiery furnace that's threatened. If we disobey God, we disobey God because we choose to disobey God, not because we're forced to disobey God. These three faithful young men chose to obey God even though it meant that they would be cast into a fiery furnace because they knew, they knew the king could not force them to disobey God. He may throw them into the fiery furnace, but he could not force them to disobey God. Thirdly, God does promise he will always be with you. Dear ones, it is often the feeling, and I underscore feeling, it is often the feeling that we are all alone that frightens, frightens us the most as we face those fires of suffering, rejection, and betrayal in standing for Christ and his truth. We fear we're going to be all alone. God gave to these three godly young men one another. Three of them. One another. I think they would have stood faithful uh, to the Lord based upon their prior testimony, but, but he gave them one another as well. And he's given us one another in order to encourage us that we're not alone. But even more than that, but even more than that, most importantly, God gave to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego himself, whether it was an, an angel or whether it was the Lord Jesus, God gave to them himself to know that they were not alone. They were not by themselves. And if we want to enjoy the presence of God in the midst of the fires that come our way, I dare say, dear ones, we must learn to enjoy his presence daily when we're not in the fire as we commune with the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. By way of our prayer that we offer to him daily, by way of the reading and the memorizing, the study, the meditating upon his word, and as well as we commune with him in our family worship, and as we commune with the Lord Jesus in our Lord's Day worship. Beloved, if our worship, whether it's our own personal private worship or family worship or our corporate worship on the Lord's Day, if our worship is not personal and near to God, but rather is distant and more like a machine that has been programmed to follow certain directions, we cannot expect to have the near presence of the Lord in the midst of the fires. You cannot know, dear ones, his presence, his near presence, if you are at a distance from him now. It will not work that way. 
We will only know in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the prophets, and the martyrs, and the Lord Jesus, knew the near presence of the Lord with them as they suffered in those fiery furnaces that they faced because they knew the daily, personal presence of God in communing with him. A near presence. And certainly, dear ones, you cannot know his presence in the fiery furnace that we'll all face of death if you are presently under his condemnation. You can only know that near presence of Christ through his justification, being declared righteous in Christ, coming to Christ, seeking his forgiveness, seeking his righteousness, casting away your own righteousness and falling upon the mercy of God found in Christ Jesus, receiving him by faith as Lord and as Savior. And that near presence, dear ones, that we especially, I think all of us who know the Lord, that near presence that we do desire as we face death. I cannot think of anything worse than to be facing death alone, to be facing death without family around you but especially to be facing death without the presence of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, I cannot think of anything better and more glorious than to be facing death with the near presence of Jesus Christ as as I cling and as you cling to the promise, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. For thou art with me. Let's enjoy, dear ones, his presence here and now in order that we might enjoy his presence at death and enjoy his presence in the glories of heaven forevermore. As the psalmist says in Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we come before Thee realizing that, <clears throat> that all of us have room to grow in enjoying Thy presence daily. And that many days <clears throat> we have not enjoyed Thy presence because we have not drawn near to Thee. And many t days we have depended more upon our feelings than walking by faith. And thy presence, Lord, is not always felt, but it, it is something to be believed nevertheless because we have thy promise that thou will never leave us nor forsake us. But our God, many times we do not enjoy uh, even the sense of thy presence in the midst of the fires that we face because we have put our time of communion with thee upon the back burner. We have not had a near and personal communion with thee. It has been distant. It has been estranged. We pray, forgive us, our Lord, and draw us unto thee. And Father, if there be any among us, any who 
are within the sound of my voice, our God, that do not know thy presence because they are under thy condemnation, that thou, our God, would convict them of their sin, that thou would show to them, Lord, their, their need of Christ, a Savior, and that, Lord, uh, to be uh, facing death without thy presence is a hell in itself. We pray, our God, that thou would show to them, reveal to them their need of Christ and draw them uh, effectually unto Jesus Christ to believe and trust in Christ, to turn and repent of their sins and to walk, uh, Lord, in loving obedience to thy commandments. We ask, Lord, that thou would hear us for the sake of Christ our Savior. Amen.